Hi, and welcome to Talking Teachers. My name is Jane Hunter. I'm hosting this podcast series with my colleague and friend, Don Carter. Together, we've both worked in the field of Australian education for decades as parents, as teachers and academics. We believe this is a time of both opportunity and crisis in our education system. So in this series, we've gathered some of the most interesting and influential thinkers to work through how we can serve our schools better. We hope you enjoy it. You'll find details on how to contact us at the end of this episode. Hi, Jane. It's another episode in our podcast series, and this one's a little bit different. Its focus is the media, and as our listeners will know, there are always education stories in the media. That's right, Don. And today we're talking to Jacqueline Maley. Jacqueline is a columnist and senior writer for the Sydney Morning Herald and the Age newspapers. So let's get started, Jacqueline. We're so glad to be speaking with you today. And I want you to know that by the end of this interview, you will have done a 30 second rant. That is, you get to talk about a topic of your own choice that you feel passionate about. We'll sit here and listen. We won't interrupt, but we'll stop you after 30 seconds. But first, Let's go to our first question. Jane, would you like to begin? Jacqueline, you write about a range of social issues, including education, and they're always very current and topical. Can you walk us through the process of how you decide which topic to write on and why would you choose one area and not something else? Do you have a set of criteria? When I was thinking about these questions, it forced me to think about my process in a way that was more scientific perhaps than the process itself actually is. I guess uh, very much these days I'm just guided by my own interests and the things that, yeah, the things that pique my interest and the things that I feel curious about or perhaps I'm trying to work out for myself. It's often guided by conversations that I'm having with my friends or my colleagues. We're obviously all people who have our heads in the news cycle all the time and are reading very widely all the time. And it tends to be the things that people are talking about, people are arguing about, that are preoccupying people that will make the most interesting columns. Often it's tied to politics, although I do get bored of politics and I write about popular culture or, I don't know, just current events, I suppose. You know, you find as a columnist there are certain subjects that you become preoccupied with or that you return to again and again. And then, you know, sometimes particularly when the news has been really heavy. You don't always want to write about heavy stuff, so sometimes I'll deliberately look for something that's light or fun or that can be a little bit more humorous. I read widely, like I read, and I read overseas publications as well as the Australian newspapers, obviously. So I try to take in as wide and as varied a sort of media diet as I can and just trust that that will sort of work its way into my own journalism. Yeah, it's not very scientific at all. And there's I often think that there are subjects that I neglect or that I should write about more or that are worthy. And sometimes it's also just driven by deadlines. So some subjects will require a day's research or at least a few phone calls and other things you can dash off more quickly before you have to pick up your kid from school. And that's the reality. So I'm assuming, Jacqueline, that you don't have an editor looking over your shoulder, directing the topics you actually write about. You've got a bit of a roving commission. But can I ask, if you see an issue that's covered in another media outlet or platform, 
do you then avoid it and, and look for some other issue? I think a lot of the time, I, you know, I write for a Sunday newspaper, so pretty much everything I write will have been churned over or, or thought about by other people. Well, a lot of things that I write will have been in the news maybe all week, maybe for several weeks. You're always trying to look for something that's timely and something that has a news hook. So, you know, people have got to understand why why they're reading about this now. Why do I want to read about this on a Sunday morning this week. So you've got to give them a sort of timely, a news hook, basically, to be reading about it now. But no, it doesn't scare me off if other people have been writing about stuff per se. It just means that I need to think about a way that I can attack it in a fresh way or a different way or come at it from a slightly different angle. Or sometimes I'll link an issue to another issue in a way that I think is creative or different. You've talked about the types of issues you might cover. But talk us through the actual process of writing and so on. I'm thinking of listeners who are English teachers and students who are engaged in writing. Jacqueline, how do you get started with your writing? How do you propel yourself forward? I mean, now you're getting into something quite mysterious. You know, when I was sort of learning about writing, essay writing and constructing an argument when I was at university, we used to talk about topic sentences and all that kind of thing. And, you know, you'd have a general thrust of the argument. You might even have a sort of hypothesis that you were testing, something quite formal. I don't really write like that anymore. I think I read about an issue. I think of a whole bunch of different interesting things that I want to say about it. I generally have to come up with some sort of pitch or some sort of germ of an idea that I give to my editors. So, you know, I want to write about, I don't know, Harry and Meghan like I did last week, or I want to write about electoral trust in our politicians. I don't know, whatever the topic might be, I might think of a sort of question or some particular aspect of it that I want to explore. And then honestly, I just kind of write. I mean, I will sometimes have an idea or a turn of phrase and I'll sort of that will be what I'll write first and then I might go back and do the beginning later. Sometimes I find it hard to do beginnings. So, you know, opening sentences or opening paragraphs can be quite tricky because you've got to capture people's attention so immediately. So sometimes, yeah, I'll write from the bottom. Sometimes I'll write bits and pieces and then thread it all together. It's pretty rare that I would write something from beginning to end but a column, yeah, it takes me, you know, a day to write. I mean, when I say a day, maybe five hours um, working on it. But then I would have done a lot of reading and thinking and talking possibly beforehand. Absolutely fascinating to hear it sort of straight straight from you as such. So are there any current issues in education that you'd be tempted to write about? Well, I mean, I'm aware that I'm not an expert. I'm also aware that I have a daughter in school. <laughs> so, and and I, you know, she's in a she's in a public primary school and I love her teachers. I love the school. I think it's a great school. So, I'm I am actually aware now when I broach things about school or I don't know, anything to do with education or the curriculum or whatever. I suppose there's culture wars over the curriculum and stuff. I'm a bit aware that like I don't want to offend any teachers at her school and I know that teachers have strong opinions about a whole bunch of things and teachers can be quite, you know, it's a heavily unionised workforce. There are culture wars and differences of opinion that are quite strong and strident within the teaching profession from what I gather. So I guess, yeah, I'm a little bit aware of my personal circumstances if I was to write about, I don't know, phonics or something like that, which I do take an interest in and I do read about and I do, I suppose, have opinions on. But I suppose it would be one area where I'd be 
sort of worried about offending people, in particular like my daughter's teacher. <laughs> yes, you, you mentioned phonics, Jacqueline. I, I think that is a, is a trigger term for many people. And, and I think if you wrote something on phonics, you get some responses, which leads me to ask about, do you ever get hate mail, for example? You're nodding your head. Yeah, you get a lot of blowback. I, I don't think I cop it nearly as badly as a lot of people and particularly women in the media do. But yeah, I've copped it. You cop it a bit on social media, certain topics, and I get emails. So I get a lot of emails that are lovely and most probably most emails are lovely. I get some that are not so nice, that are kind of quite hateful. And then you get some in the middle which are quite funny and I quite like I quite enjoy and it's usually a certain type of male reader who will write in and say, you know, I really enjoy you know, I you're you're a good writer, like they'll give you a bit of a compliment. You're obviously quite intelligent. But here's a number of mistakes that you've made in your piece and here's a number of corrections that you might want to think about. They're sort of mansplaining emails and they're I mean they're coming from a good place and they're quite sweet, but they, they always make me chuckle a little bit. Do you reply to those emails? <laughs> I try to always reply to anyone who has written to me in good faith, in a polite way, actually engaging with my work. I will always try to reply to those. If it's just rude or abusive, no. <laughs> That's very sensible. Wise words here. So are there any topics that are absolutely off limits for you? Look, I would say there are certain topics that you know are going to get a lot of blowback. And I would be lying if I said that sometimes you make a, you make an assessment as to whether or not you've got the stomach for it that week, whether or not it's worth it. And it's a fine line as a columnist because I, I don't think I'm a particularly controversial columnist and I don't think I'm a particularly sort of reactionary columnist. And that's not my style. So... But at the same time, I, you know, you have to have strong opinions and you have to have what I always think of as sort of certitude when you're a columnist. And readers want that and people respond to that in, in columns. But I don't always feel a lot of certitude in my personal life and my personality is not particularly one of great certitude. So I sort of struggle with that tension internally, I guess. Uh, like sometimes you think, who am I to tell people what I think? Like, why is my opinion particularly important. So yeah, in the sense of things that I avoid, there are certain issues that are very, very sensitive and that will always offend people. So, and the two that I can think of are like Israel-Palestine. Whatever you write about that, you're going to piss someone off probably really badly and someone's going to hate what you've written and tell you that you're wrong. And also there kind of is no correct position on that, I would say if there is a correct position on anything. And also I would say trans issues at this point in time are very difficult to write about with sensitivity because there are so it's such a vulnerable community. And it's also an area where people have such strong opinions, where there's a lot of bigotry and then there's a lot of backlash as well. So I find the sort of so-called turf versus trans rights line a very difficult one to tread and I think that a lot of people have fallen into that abyss like female journalists not unlike me have fallen fallen foul of that issue so I find that one yeah tricky to write about. Do you have any agendas that you push? 
I would like to think no. I mean, now we're getting into sort of murky areas of subconscious bias and, you know, unconscious bias and stuff, which of which I'm sure I'm, you know, totally guilty as the next person. Uh, but no, I don't consciously push any agendas at all. I believe that I'm quite ethical and quite punctilious in terms of not having, not driving any ulterior interests or motives in my work. Like I would like to think I'm quite transparent. I have things that I feel strongly about and I suppose anyone who reads my work would know that I'm sort of preoccupied with gender equality and feminist issues. So I don't know if that means that I'm pushing an agenda, but I'm always coming at things from, I suppose, that perspective or that lens. But then I don't think I always have predictable kind of views on issues of gender equality either. And I'm actually quite interested, you know, in the flip side of feminism and the sort of the role of men in 21st century society. This is a big issue in education, boys who underperform in, um, in school. I think that's kind of a really interesting aspect of advances that we've seen in gender equality. So, no, I don't think I push an agenda. I, I'm the same as you. I am not particularly interested in reading columnists who I feel like I know what they're going to say or I know that they're always going to have the same sort of take on an issue and I would hope to not be one of those columnists and that's sometimes why you avoid certain topics, I suppose, because you think, well, I know what I think about this. Probably everyone knows what I think about this. I don't have anything new to say on this. Like, of course, I think Donald Trump's terrible. Or There's no new ground to sort of plough in that field. Do you think there's an issue around the quality of journalism in this country at this present moment? I mean, it's impossible for me to give an answer to that that's not biased, because of course I'm going to say yes. I'm I look at my newsroom and I look at the quality of stories that we've put out and the exclusives, the investigations, the great analysis, the great political coverage, you know, the the life-changing and agenda-setting journalism that my newsroom has done over the last year. And I'm talking about stories like the Star Casino, the Crown Casino, the Ben Robert Smith Afghanistan alleged war crimes work, my colleague Clayton McClamont's work on Charlie Chuyo recently, Adele Ferguson basically sparked a banking royal commission. You know, there, there are countless examples. So I feel really proud of the journalism that my newsroom puts out. And obviously I have views about some of the journalism that we see in other outlets. I'm quite democratic about it, though. I suppose I feel like every newsroom serves a market and if there is a market for that journalism, then that's its job, to produce that kind of work. And I'm not particularly snobbish about the tabloids. I read the tabloids every day. I read The Australian every day. I mean, I read all the papers every day. So I'm not answering your question, really. Australia is a small market. It's a concentrated market. And we have some very loud voices within that market. So I do think we're quite parochial. I think we're quite polite. I look at the press in the UK and even though it has its excesses, I do think they have a culture of fearlessness and, yeah, a culture of fearlessness that we perhaps lack in Australia. And I look at the US and I think they do so much creative, innovative, interesting, funny, particularly in the pop culture area, which is what I read a lot of and sort of more like essay long-form journalism. They just have a lot of money, they have a lot of resources and they have really, really interesting diverse voices. So it's lively and sort of antic in a way that the Australian media isn't and maybe, yeah, it just isn't. Is the Australian media biased or are there sections of the media that you feel is biased in some way? 
absolutely there's bias within the Australian media. I mean, we see it and it's quite obvious that certain sections of the media, for example, were rooting very hard for coalition government over the last, well, you could probably say over the, the last 10 years. I suppose it's more systemic in some parts of the media than others, yeah. Something that really concerns me, Don, is what we perceive as a lot of negative stories about education and about teachers more generally, but also about teacher quality. And that's been documented in a new book by a colleague of ours at Sydney University. It's a very careful analysis of 86,000 print articles. So why do you think this negativity towards teachers has happened? You're saying that there's a, there's a lot of negative stories about teachers. You know, you're probably studying it more closely than I am. I think that... There's a structural bias within any kind of news, which is that nobody, as a rule, there's no, there's nothing new in reading and there's nothing fresh and there's nothing kind of newsworthy or in the public interest about reading good news stories all the time. I do think we write those stories. I wrote a story about um, Fairfield Primary like years ago in the Good Weekend, which is one of my favourite stories that I ever did because they take in so many refugee children. It was all about how they sort of manage their refugee population. It was fascinating and I loved working on that story. And it actually got a really, really good reception. So I do think people do want to read about those stories, but I also think it's our duty as journalists to write about um, problems resourcing structural inequalities within the education system. And if that's negative, then so be it. You know, Jacqueline, if you want to run a good news story, there's plenty of good news stories here at UTS, for example, our quality pre-service teachers. But on to the next question. What would be your advice to any careers advisors or school students listening to this podcast who would like to give journalism a go? What's your advice? They have to be extremely multimedia, sort of, they can do graphics, they can do TikTok, like it, it, they need to be able to work in all sorts of media. So that's really important. And I mean, in terms of more general skills, you know, an, an incredible curiosity and outward looking aspect is integral for a journalist, I think. A really strong work ethic and an ability to think laterally when you're looking at a story. So an example Recently, that a friend of mine who's about my age working on a story with a younger colleague and the younger colleague was sort of looking, they were trying to find some people and the younger colleague's looking exclusively online at social media and so forth. And my colleague was like, well, I'll just find, you know, like I know where, where this person lives. I'll just ring every business in that town and ask people on the phone. And it didn't occur to the younger journalist to just pick up the phone and call people. Phone calls and, and just door knocking actually do also yield results. Well, Jacqueline, it's that time in the interview where we ask you to rant for 30 seconds. So think about a topic that's dear to your heart. We're not going to interrupt and rant about it for the next 30 seconds. Education seems so averse to any kind of ranking or anything like that. It's like they're so worried about hurting people's feelings. I'm a bit more old-fashioned and conservative in that sense, I think. And, you know, I do believe that children respond well to being not exactly pushed, but like having high expectations placed on them. I just don't understand. Well, Jacqueline, that was fantastic. And there you have Sunday's column already worked out. Well done. That was enlightening. Very enjoyable. We'd love to have you back. 
Thank you so much, Jacqueline. It was really, I've been a great admirer, if I can just say that, of your beautiful writing and to actually have you here and have a little bit of a sense. I know you said it wasn't necessarily scientific, but I think you've given some inspirational detail to young people who are thinking of careers in journalism and to certainly English teachers and careers advisors. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. I really enjoyed that, Jane. It gave me quite a few insights into how um, a journalist might approach their work, um, choosing topics, for example. But I was very interested in in how Jacqueline approaches uh, the writing process. She said it's a mysterious process, and and I think that's about right. Yeah, and I guess, you know, Don, you and I have been um, English teachers, head teachers, and there's been a lot of conversation in recent times about writing and just having a a few insights from Jacqueline around that. Writing is not easy, and so it was really terrific to hear that even as a very experienced writer, she also finds that challenging and sometimes I think we underestimate our expect well we overestimate our expectations for young people and adolescents who can just write it's difficult it certainly is thank you Don I think it was really terrific to have a real live journalist and uh, to actually hear her perspectives and um, she doesn't necessarily always write on education but just having that insight and, and that idea that sometimes I wish for example there's lots more lots more good news stories about education but maybe that's not newsworthy and that's why we get this sort of bias but the bias over many stories over many weeks over months over years I guess has really undermined the position of teachers in our schools and uh I think we need to be mindful and and think about ways we can turn that around. Most definitely, Jane. Worthy of more conversations, and I can tell you I'm looking forward to our next interview. Thanks, Jane. Thanks, Don. Thank you for listening to this episode of Talking Teachers. If you'd like to know more about Don and me, you can look at the UTS website. Simply Google UTS Teacher Education, where you'll also find show notes for this podcast. The podcast was produced by William Verity for Impact Studios at UTS, which specialises in turning research into quality audio. We wish to acknowledge that the series is being recorded on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation. We thank and pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging.